Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome again to the Believe Knicks podcast. I'm Matthew Miranda, joined again after a long, painful separation by Stacey Patton. Stacey Patton, lovely to have you here again. How are you doing? How have you been? Doing pretty well. Got plenty of sunshine. Uh, skipped out on a lot of the Northeast winter, so that's been kind of nice. <laughs> You've missed absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, I, have as... gotten to, I have illegally streamed enough games. <laughs> to get the most important thing. Everyone mm-hmm. else is talking about the banks failing, and I'm more interested in uh, well the Knicks. So <laughs> you probably get farther with the Knicks than you will with the banks, anyway. Um, good times in Nick land as usual. Um, they won again on Saturday against Denver, one sixteen, one ten. They're playing the Timberwolves tonight. There are ten games left in the season. They look pretty secure in the fifth seed. Um, I they still have a game left with Cleveland, and if they won that game, they would have the tiebreaker, and they would have a shot at number four. I don't want to jinx anything, but the way this team has looked all year, unless something oddly catastrophic happens, I can't see them dropping below Brooklyn or Miami. So it looks like they're probably secure where they were. Um, they have a ninety-nine percent chance of. They have to win two games to clinch a to like not win the play-in. So yeah, mm-hmm. and just six or better. So. Based off of the impressive win yesterday, based off of kind of how they've been playing recently in general, um, Sensei has a very good list of kind of questions and ideas for today. And I wanted to start with the first one that you asked um, because I did a tiny bit of research on this very rudimentary um, just to, well, I should explain the question first. But before I do that, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your college basketball betting this season. There's not a lot left, so get it while you can. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online, where you'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends. Updated odds for everything from live games right through to the Final Four and the Championship game. Bet Online is your college basketball headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive your bonus. BetOnline.ag where the game starts. So I looked up something you asked. Stacey wrote to me, um, the Knicks have had much better results in close games of late versus earlier in the season. How much of that is actually them playing better versus randomness or regression to expectation? So not claiming that this is statistically comprehensive, but just out of curiosity, when I read that, um, I went through the Knicks schedule and I looked at um, games that ended within three points. It's completely arbitrary. Obviously, you can have a game that ends in a five or six or even seven point difference. That might have been a tight game all the way down to the last possession. So this isn't comprehensive, but I did see a couple of interesting trends in what I looked at that I think could be an explanation for what you're what you're asking about. The Knicks have played 72 games. If you split their season in half, the first 36 games the Knicks played, they had seven games that were within three points or less and they were 5-2 and in those games. In the last half of the season, the next 36 games, they have again played seven games decided by three points or less, and now they're 6-1 and in that span. So over the full season, games decided by three points or less, the Knicks are 11-3. and Again, I think there's limits to what that means, but what it made me think when I looked at it, because I had no sense in my mind of, are they, are they winning, are they not winning, were they winning close games before? I think there's a couple of things that have probably changed over the course of the season that might impact how we're receiving the same information. Um, so one being those first 36 games, the Knicks were 18 and 18. And in that time, 
if you go back to when the season started, there was not a lot of goodwill and positivity towards, like, I think a lot of people were either down on Thibodeau or waiting for things to go wrong. And they did by early December, the Tibbs watch was on as far as being fired. A lot of people were down on Randall. Um, The Knicks hadn't really given their fans anything positive for a while. 2021 ended very negatively. 2022 was a rough year kind of all the way through. Coming into the season, I don't think there was that much positivity. So I think early on when the Knicks were playing and winning these close games, and it was about uh, a fifth of their games for three points or less, I think at that time when expectations and, and confidence were lower, winning a close game might have felt more like, oof, that, that was that was an escape. Like if we had lost that one, we'd be three games under or we'd be – you know, out of the playoffs, like it would have been, it would have represented something negative, which would have been a continuation, I think, of a negative stretch of emotion. I don't think it's a coincidence that the last thirty-six games, they've gone from eighteen and eighteen to twenty-four and twelve, and now when they win these close games, I think it's exactly the same proportion. It's almost exactly the same record, but I think what's different, possibly now, is we feel better about the coach. We feel better about Julius Randle. Now when they win these games, these aren't games that like, well, if if the Denver game, if they had lost that game, it has really no bearing on where they're going at all. They'd still be the fifth seed. They'd still probably end up the fifth seed. So when they win these games, it's all just, it's like, oh, cool. Like, we're that much better. I like winning. The more my team wins, the more I feel better about them, the better I feel about them, the more these close wins feel kind of inevitable or kind of like games that they should win. But nothing's changed, I don't think, other than we feel better about the team and we should feel better about the team. Um, This is a dangerous conclusion to draw off of such a surface-level examination of numbers, but it's the first thing I came to um, in consideration of your question. No, I think that's a a great stat to pull. Uh, And the first thing it tells me is maybe we're overblowing, to your point. You know how bad they were. Um, It certainly felt like you know they had a three and seventeen stretch last year. Um, where you know there were multiple games, you know there was like a twenty-eight point lead blown against Brooklyn, where none of Harden, Durant, or Kyrie played. Yes. Okay. Um, you know there was a Portland game. There was an Oklahoma, Oklahoma City was tank city last year. It was not this year's Thunder. Um, you know there was a big blown lead in that game. Um, and then this year, the way it started off, there were a lot of games, and what triggered it was because early in the year, Fred Katz wrote an article. And I think it was at a time when a lot of people were criticizing Tibbs. You know, me and Schwinn talked about this when the article was released. I just revisited this with him. Um, but, you know, the, the part of that article was like, you know, it felt – and this was like – this was at the worst, right? You had that, that fucking Dallas game, right, you know, where Luca hit the shot. Uh, yes. You had the DeRozan game. You had, and it all just came like within a week. They had several games where they controlled it. They really should have won, it felt like. And they lost. You know what's interesting about you saying that? Uh, just a really, really quick point. When I was going through all their three-point games, one thing that struck me was I can remember maybe half of the three-point or less games that they won. Yeah, I remember every single game that they lost. Yeah, that's uh, the way my dad has put it, uh, is that you ne- you always remember when you get the red light that comes right when <laughs> you just got green and you fucking have to slow after waiting for Absolutely a while. Absolutely correct. Never remember the green lights you get. Um, but so, so Fred Katz wrote an article and I'm looking, I'm going to go look at the January 11th. Okay. Uh, this was, this was peak. There is actually someone tweeted from earlier. Uh, there was someone has been, you know, in all the Knicks quote tweets that have been going around to dunk on everybody else, which Knicks fans deserve right now. Can't hate on it. On uh, January 21st, someone tweeted, Wow, they tried to tell me Jalen Brunson was better than DeJounte Murray. Um, And now everyone is saying, well, yeah, they did because it's true. Um, But at the time that, you know, the Knicks were just really struggling to to finish games. Um, Mm -hmm. And Fred Katz wrote an article and, you know, they had, it was, you know, by that time, by January 11th, the Knicks had blown seven double-digit leads. There's been Mm -hmm. seven times where they were up double digits in a game but lost. Mm -hmm. Um. However, his point was that it's not that uncommon. Uh, and I, I'm understanding well, yeah. now that double-digit leads are not the same thing as a close game. So it's a little bit of a different question than what I asked you. But I do think a lot of those games went down to the wire. Mm-hmm. But there were seven such teams. And there were 14 teams that had blown six or more. 
and every team had turned at least, and on the contrary, every team had turned at least three double-digit lo- leads into losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the point I think was that this is just this was a reality. It wasn't something endemic to the Knicks, and um, it it often it felt to me at the time like. You know, and that was the question, right? How much of it is, you know, Tibbs, people would say Tibbs is ISO offense. The Knicks aren't prepared. They're not playing good rotations. Um, you know, because it also felt like when they went down double digits, it didn't feel like there were a whole lot of games where they would, where the opposite would happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would think that if it's just this randomness thing where three point era, a double digit lead isn't safe, anything yeah. can happen in these close games you know there's no like rhyme or reason to it that's fine but we don't seem to be on the better end of that so my so the reason the thing that triggered is like were we this good all along but you know now like the coin flip games are just trending our way more Mm. and i think to your point we probably underestimated even at that point how often they were um i think that there's also something to be said for the fact that the Knicks rotation is different right Derek Rose, Evan Fournier, and Cam Reddish are no longer part of the rotation. We can debate yeah. how much in, in individually or together any of those. That's a third games. of the rotation right there. That's in, that's significant. That's a significant thing. Um, but I, you know, without ripping any one of those three players, I think it's the 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 real benefit wasn't that Evan Fournier or Cam Reddish or Derek Rose doesn't play. It's just who's playing instead of them, right? Now those minutes are going to. Especially the the rose and um, the rose minutes are going to Manuel quickly, who has blossomed into look. Uh, as much as I love quickly, like I would be fine if they gave it to Malcolm Brogdon. I think both of them are deserving, mm-hmm. but he is deserving of the sixth man of the year. Incredible Absolutely. season he's having. Uh, those minutes are going to him. He scaled up now to be everything a lot of people have thought he could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about Hart yet because he's come later. Uh, Grimes got more minutes, right? Um, you know, with Cam Reddish coming out, McBride played more, which McBride, a lot of people were like, yeah. McBride can't shoot, he can't do anything. If you look at his impact stats, you look at the defense he's showing, he has been an impact player. And I honestly actually think the Knicks regret or wish they could get him more minutes somehow. But it's just, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, it, that there could be a playoff game where he will play, you know, foul trouble or something. I think, like, if they have mm-hmm. that kind of a situation, he could play that kind of role. But the larger point is, I think that the, both can be true, right? Like, there was probably going to be some regression that was going to happen. Because last year, if you look at Pythagorean win expectation, the Knicks should have won 42 games last year. Hmm. 43. They won 37. And a lot of... Th- that was the big debate, right? Well, is that because Tibbs sucks at coaching late games? Or is that just, like, eventually the, they're, they're better than the record indicates? Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, it seems like Tibbs has found some of those buttons to push. But, um, but it also seems like, to your point... Maybe it isn't the close games as much, right? Maybe it is the fact that because the rotations are better, like when they're not in a close game, they're blowing teams. Like, when's the last time the Knicks got blown out? Like I'm that saying. Sacramento game where Brunson was hurt, maybe, but that wasn't even really a blowout. That like, wasn't, yeah. Um, and they're a fucking good team, so like no disrespect to the Kings. Yeah, they're two like, in the West. They have not been like, blown out, you know, like a couple months. I'm looking now. If you want to go, they lost by. If they have not lost by more than ten. Uh, in about six weeks, they lost in Philly um, by eleven. In yeah, even that was a game. I think they led for three quarters. And it was that was actually yeah. close. They lost to the Clippers by eleven a couple weeks ago. That was close going into the fourth. The yeah. last one, even that was also without Brunson too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Atlanta beat them by fifteen back in January. But yeah, you're you're going if you really are looking like when did they last get their ass ass kicked? It would be the last time that they hosted Dallas. Which was at the beginning of December. They lost by twenty-one. That's it. And didn't Dallas have like a million threes that game? Too? Yeah, they did. Oh my god, they did. But that so was the, the point game. is like, yeah. But so I think this kind of like, and your stat, I think, where they've really only improved from five and two to six and one in those three-point games. Sure, you can say you know, well, those aren't all this, but I think you know that I think lends itself to like, it's not just randomness shifting their way in close games. It's that there's been a palpable change in this rotation as a result of the changes they've made. Um, and um, and I think the top of the list, Tibbs deserves credit. Look, I came down on him for not making some of these. And I'm not going to say I told you so, because some of them, I would have, like, especially when they were injured, I would have kept Cam Reddish in a little bit longer, you know, when they were going seven, eight guys. 
he, he decided to to not do that. Um, so he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, and I, like I'll say, like this is the most confident I've been in him since. Uh, no, even more than his first season here, because it really seems like he has the finger on his pulse of this team. Uh, he you know, seems like, to have grown when he his success the first season felt like oh this is that Thibodeau guy that I've seen and heard of and he's doing the things that I've seen and heard him do the guy this season and and who just talked about this uh, Mike Michael Malone just had some nice comments about Thibodeau like Thibodeau has shown growth in places that nobody it's a unique uh, formula but nobody had this team being fifth in offensive rating really most of the season. And I know they do it differently. They do it differently than a lot of other people would do it. I think it's a little bit of, I think it's regular season noise that won't translate to the playoffs. But it's still, Thibodeau has been flexible. Thibodeau has played lineups together that nobody would have ever expected to see from him. Um, I think you have to, I think you have to say Thibodeau has grown in three years that he's been here. And the, and like, the, to you, I think that's a good point to bring up. They're fifth in offensive rating, but they're not, they have improved as a shooting team, but they're like an average shooting team. They're big acquisitions. Yeah, they're not a good shooting team. Josh Hart, who is not known as a shooter, like um, I, we got to talk about this too. Josh Hart is my new Pablo Prigioni, where like uh, <laughs> that that Mike Woodson, like he's a good shooter and he just pump fakes all the fucking time, and it drives me nuts. Just shoot it, man! You can shoot. Pablo was like, crazy. It's not even like he, 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 but like. Pablo at least had a little bit of a slow release, and he was a pass first player. Yes, like Josh Hart has like a normal release. He looks like mm-hmm. a shooter when he shoots. Just shoot it; it's mm-hmm. going to go well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I think like it's it's such a money ball approach that's been taken with this and with this team. And like you know, the front office and Tibbs are aligned, which, by the way, is I think something that a lot of people were unsure of early on. But yeah, not early on is as into the beginning of the season, right? Are the front office and Tibbs aligned on Cam? Are they aligned on? You know mm-hmm. all, all of these guys. Um, you know they are—they're not a great shooting team, but they don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rebound really well, so they win the possession battle, right? That is an analytics thing in many ways. You don't turn mm-hmm. the ball over. You, you pound the glass. You get a lot of free throws, and um, you know we'll see how much that holds up in the playoffs. To your point, right? Like the game is officiated differently. Schwinn has made the point that, you know, the Knicks aren't as foul grifty as other teams. I'm a little bit not 100% on agreeing. Like, Brunson and quickly foul grift a little bit. Even Randall. Well, Randall, I wouldn't, like, Randall's little, like, 15-foot jump shot, he does get hit on the arm. Yes, he does. But, like, he is trying to draw that foul. He is. Uh, so, like, it's a little bit, they walk that line. We'll see how well it works in the playoffs. Um yeah. But they've kind of manufactured. They've money ball. This is a money ball team, which is really interesting considering that when Leon Rose was signed, everyone was like, "Well, he's he wasn't brought here to money ball. He was brought here mm-hmm. to sign Donovan Mitchell or Derek uh, De- Derek Booker, Devin Booker, or whoever." Right? So be somebody, yeah. Uh, which is kind of not the way they've gone with this front office, uh, with, with you know with how they've built this team. Um, but um, but yeah, like I mean, at the center of it all, like Tibbs is, and like right now, like my criticisms of Tibbs. I don't. I really don't have that many. Like it'll be like, eh, maybe I would have closed with Grimes over Barrett there. I would have closed with right. Barrett over IQ there one day when they're hot. But like these are like they have four great options at the two and three positions between yes. Barrett, Grimes, IQ, and Hart. Somebody's going to be left out. More and more, it looks like Hart is just not going to sit on the bench. <laughs> He's just too fucking good. Um. So you know the. But, like, those are nitpicky things, and it's generally worked out for him. So, hello? Yeah, the only only criticism you see now is like, well, he could have gone with Grimes over IQ there, he could have gone with. You know, Barrett versus Hart, like, you know, but like the reality is he has four great options um, at the two and three positions. And like Hart is probably going to close 90% of them because he's just shown himself to be clearly, super reliable. Clearly. And like, yep. like to, you can debate his shooting ability. I don't think he's like somebody who compromises your spacing at all. Like, or so far on, the Knicks hasn't been. Um, so there's always going to be two guys really left out. And I think the team has bought into it. And I like other than that, I think he's 
generally like he staggered Brunson and Randall pretty well. It seems like, mm-hmm. um, you know, when Randall, I think like he's done a good, like how much of this is Tibbs versus Randall, and the players can be up to debate, but like when Randall doesn't have it going and is forcing it a little bit, you know, he's happy to like shift it to, you know, let guys like quickly or RJ like run the set, which can, by the way, help Randall get a better shot and easier. Like it, it makes mm-hmm. his life easier. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he's got his finger on the pulse of this team in a way that I don't think he's had even even the first year. I think the first year was a lot more play tough, and, and I think he had a good feel for the defense, but the offense was just kind of try hard. In a way, this when you say the team is based on rebounding, it feels like it's try hard. But if you look at the sets and the way that they get their actions, you know it's not that. And I think the shots that they get... Um, the sh- a lot of the shots they get do help their offensive rebounding, right? You ha- like When your guards are getting to the rim and driving that's going to open up offensive rebounding opportunities from Kobe assist perspective. Um, but you know, they're taking high quality shots. They're not shooting a high percentage, but, um, but it's tough to really have a problem with the process at all of this team right now. You there? Yeah. You were saying it's tough to, it's tough to have an issue with the process of this team at all right now. So, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, kind of similar to your your question about. Um, well, no, sorry, no, I don't know. I was trying to make a segue, and it's not there. I'll just make a different segue. Uh, a player that we haven't talked about a lot, and you asked um, about him, R.J. Barrett, um, who has had a nice bounce back, which I feel is like what most of R.J.'s career has been has been a series of struggles and nice bounce backs. Um, and you, you mentioned, um, is RJ's recent bounce back another piece of evidence showing Nick fans often overreact? I'm going to say yes to that question. Um, I think it's not unfair to wish that you had seen some things that we haven't seen from RJ over four years. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of fans would have wished for a more, steady progression of improvement. I find RJ um Here's the thing with RJ though. RJ still right now is 22 years old. He won't turn 23 until after the season is over. Um Are you still there? I can't see if you're still there, Stacy. Yeah, I'm there. Wait, can you hear me? Am I talking to myself? Yeah, I'm here. I might be. Hello? Hello, I'm back. And I'm going to keep talking about R.J. Barrett. Can you hear me? Um, so one of the things I think that's been frustrating about Barrett is there's not the typical progression that you expect from a three-pick. And I don't think we can underestimate like the significance of R.J. Barrett when the Knicks landed him. Whatever your actual hopes for him were, and I know that was a season that we were all hoping against Zion instead, and we thought that we were going to get Kevin Durant in the offseason. And after all of that potential um, at the at the wing, you end up with R.J. Barrett, who has vacillated back and forth over his very brief career. Um, he shoots, you know, 45% one year, and then he shoots 40, and then it's 45, and then it's 40. Um, other than the year they made the playoffs, his three-point shooting has been below average his entire career. We all know the R.J. like dossier. I think the thing where it's unfair to judge him at this point too much um, and not to, you have a right to be frustrated. You have a right to think like, I wish they would, you know, trade him for a piece of fist, but like, fine, whatever. He's still very young. And we talked about this, I think on an episode a while ago, if you track RJ's like time in the league, RJ Barrett was not drafted to the New York Knicks to be a rebounder. He was not drafted to be a point forward. He was not drafted to be a defensive stopper. He was drafted number three overall because he can score. Obviously, there were other strengths and qualities to his game that that appealed to them. But if you were taking R.J. Barrett number third in the draft, you're taking them because of his ability to score. His first year with the Knicks, his rookie year, he gets less shots per game than Julius Randle and Marcus Morris. His second year, he gets fewer shots than Randle and Derrick Rose and is about equal with Emmanuel Quickly, who's a rookie. Last year is the only time in his career that he averaged about as many shots like as Randall did. The two of them were pretty much neck and neck. And then they add Brunson. So now this year he's behind Randall and Brunson. 
I think that's significant because you're drafting a guy who has been an alpha through high school and one year of college. He hasn't had a long basketball life to see himself in different positions and at different stations. He's been alpha, alpha, alpha his whole life. Then he gets drafted to a team that right away is like, okay, you can now be secondary or maybe tertiary or even, I don't know if quadrary is a word, but why don't you try that? Why don't we make you that instead? And I think you have to allow for the fact that, yes, he has struggled. He hasn't struggled, I think, so much at doing what he expected his role to be. He's struggled, I think, adapting to a role and to a reality on the court. He's, In one sense, R.J. Barrett has never, ever had the opportunity to show what he can do. When he went to Duke, Zion was not going to be there. That was a late commitment. It was unexpected. Zion gets there. Well, guess what? Now you've got Zion, RJ, Cam, three, I think, all top 10 prospects. They're all going to play. None of them can really shoot. RJ gets to the NBA. He gets on a team with, with you know, Julius Randle and Alfred Payton, and the, the lanes are not great. The shooting is not great. All I would say for RJ Barrett is that I'm not sure that there has ever been – I don't know how many three picks have been given fewer opportunities – to excel at what their strengths are than him. It's not all on the team. You know, it's not all on the team. But I think R.J. Barrett, as a young guy who gets you 20 and 6 and has long runs where he looks really good in games, um, and particularly running with the bench units, has had some really nice flow and some moments. I do think Nick fans, I mean, I don't think it's just R.J. I think, you know, the way you phrased it was correct. Like, is this another piece of evidence of Nick fans overreacting? Yeah, I don't know if Nick fans overreact more than any other fans do, but we've we, we've already had Thibodeau fired. We've traded Randall a million times over two different seasons. People have been ready to kick RJ out the door since he got here. You know, yeah, probably we have been unfair with him. Having said that, it seems to me like the spot where the Knicks could make a change and make the biggest step towards taking the next level would be replacing RJ at that spot. So maybe I'm a hypocrite for everything I just said. What do you think? Um, three. Yeah. So as someone who was, um, you know, I said before the season, I did not think both Tibbs and Randall should be back. Uh, you know, as someone who is ready to give up on that pairing, obviously it has worked out. Um, you know, definitely willing to uh, to eat crow there. Um, you know, I I do think I think for me it's I feel like I've never swung that hard in one direction or the other with RJ because I never like when we drafted him I didn't see a star the way that a lot of people did. I saw a guy that could maybe be a one or two time All Star. Um, yep, I think exactly. Michael Finley was a guy used as like the not necessarily the same type of player, but that kind of impact he could have. Which I would have been thrilled with, by the way. Like people say, the third is Mike, Michael Finley was picked twenty first. That's the problem. Yeah, but but he was a. If you got Michael Finley, if you were told me, if you told someone that we're going to take yeah. this guy the third pick, and you got Michael Finley's career, yeah, 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 and like everyone's like, well, look at the average, you know, win shares or whatever. Like if you look at the average per pick, it's like, yeah, those are skewed by a couple of yes. outliers, right? Joel Embiid yes. went third, Michael Jordan went third, but if you yep. take the median. The median isn't that great, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like uh, draft picks often don't pan out. Um, and um, and the fact is, like, if RJ turns into like a one or two time All Star, or even if he never makes an All Star game, but like becomes Andrew Wig- Andrew Wiggins made an All Star team, but you know, it's debatable how deserved that. Well, I'm, I'm gonna say like that dude seems like a great guy. Like it's deserved, but like you know, like it, he Andrew Wiggins probably people had higher expectations of his career still has become a really nice player. And if RJ Barrett became that, I don't think anyone would have, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But I've kind of always been in that mode. So like when he's performing poorly, I'm like, but that doesn't mean he can't be that. And when he's performing really right. well, I'm not like, this is this means he's Jimmy Butler, right? I, I thought like there was like his high, like 99% out, outcome could be something like Jimmy Butler. Or, um, you know, I thought the more realistic outcome was Jalen Brown, but Jalen Brown has gone to another level. So that's probably not as realistic yes. anymore. Ronda um, Rosen doesn't seem as quite the comp as it used to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, um, but, um, you know, the, so the things the things that I was looking for with RJ this season, and that's the thing, a lot of people are like, well, he's still inefficient. He's the same guy he was as a rookie. 
And even during his slow stretch, why I was hesitant to kind of bind it. That is because, like, the issues were, on the one hand, the, the main issue of him on offense was, and still is, you know, he's improved on this, but the, the biggest issue is when he drives and doesn't kick the ball out, right? Just making easy reads. He will make his life and everything and his efficiency, everything will be way better if he just kicks out a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean he's a selfish player. That doesn't mean he's incapable of that. It means that he's 22 years old, and he, like most 22-year-olds, most people really under the age of 25 or 26 in the NBA, he's still figuring that out, like that balance. His brain is literally still like forming. Like We have right. to remember this. <laughs> um, and, um, and, you know, and to your point, he has had to adapt to a variety of roles. And the other thing was, the other big thing as a rookie, the, the real more worrisome thing as a rookie was, this is a guy whose big strength is getting to the rim a lot, and he doesn't finish at the rim well. That was mm-hmm. the worry when he was young. That has quietly improved, not dramatically. He's not a great finisher still. Um, he is at, at worst an average finisher. Like you can, It's fair to call him an average. But like with his volume, that's fine. And, and there have been real improvements, right? The footwork has improved. There is a real mid-range float game. He predetermines it a little bit too much, but there is there is something there that wasn't there. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the shooting isn't falling, but you know, the form is good, the free throws have improved. So you look at all those things, and like people are saying earlier this year, he hasn't improved his offensive game at all. It's like, you know, you can look at the numbers and say his efficiency hasn't improved, you know, his assists haven't improved, his points haven't improved, but if you look at his game, the context and how those things are happening has changed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, and like, that's the same thing I said about quickly last year, where it's like people are like, well, look how much his offense has regressed. I was like, his shooting regressed last year, right? Quickly was in a shooting slump last year. But if you looked at the fact that what had, like, that didn't mean that his offensive game hadn't grown, right? Like, he was much better inside the arc. So it's just yep. the question of do you believe he can get back the things that he was doing before at a high level? And in RJ's case, it was the question of now that he has added these things, can he put all of these things he's added at different times together? And uh, and the only thing that's really remaining right now is is more is continuing to c- the consistency with the reads, um, and um, and just getting back to league average as a three point shooter, which given his free throw shooting, given that like you know he can get those attempts without like he's good relocating off ball, he doesn't really need to be a ball up guy. I think that's fine. And like if you're if you're fine with RJ being somewhere in the 17 to 20 point range, five to six rebounds, three assists, fringe all-star, third option type, um, I think the defensive effort has improved a lot. Maybe he'll never be in like a lockdown guy, but that was another worrisome thing early in the season. You know, like yeah, so like there you have to you have to remove like the legitimate worries, I think, and how I would there were legitimate worries to me and that there were not legitimate worries. So, like, when people are, like, just overanalyzing, just looking at the surface level efficiency and overanalyzing that, to me, that was not a legitimate worry, unless you, like, dig deep and say this is the concern. Legitimate worry was, can this guy ever really be efficient at his bread and butter, which is getting to the rim? Um, you know, a non-worry to me is he gets tunnel vision too often. I mean, that it's not not a worry. It's bad for the team in the moment. But he has shown enough that he's capable of that, that I think that growth was fine. But a legitimate worry might be, well... That guy takes a lot of possessions. He has a lot of bad defensive tape. Those, so like, you, so, but like, I think what you focus on is very much affected by when they drafted RJ third overall or when he played his first half season. What was your, did you expect him to be Jimmy Butler? If that's still your expectation, if you expected him to save the franchise, then you're going to like be disappointed by him more often than not. But if your expectation was the Knicks drafted a really good player, who they extended for their second contract, which is a big accomplishment for them, um, and um, you know, and he's and he's he's becoming like a plus player who can be a high level contributor on a championship team. I think that's he's shown more than enough growth for me to think that he's on that trajectory, and um, and I'm I'm interested to continue to see that as, as we get into the playoffs here. I think something that hurts Barrett a lot, um, which I think is something that that we maybe bring to it more than the players do, like. The other day, the Knicks were playing, maybe it was the Denver game or the one before that, and Randall, who's been, I love Randall, he's been really good for years, uh, mostly. Randall made a move 
there are possessions where you can tell like Julius Randle is going to bring the ball 94 feet and he is going to put up the shot no matter what. When he's frustrated, there's just times you can tell like Randle is going to do this thing. And it's incredibly frustrating. Like, it, it drives me nuts when he does it. Um, just because I'm tired of seeing the same mistake. RJ, I think, gets a lot of crap from fans because, for example, I think this is what's unfair to RJ. RJ did this the other night, too. He he drove to the rim. He had maybe two guys on him. He tried a tough um, kind of runner, floater, and it missed. And my I'm immediately exasperated. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm tired of watching RJ Barrett do this. That's my bias that I bring to it. When I look at RJ, RJ Barrett's actual production, like you were saying, his rookie year on two-pointers, he shot 43%. That's now 49. From zero to three feet, he was 57. He's now 65. From three to 10 feet, he was 27. Now he's 39. Uh, From 10 to 16 feet, 28, 33. The only places that he has regressed, and it wasn't the case the last two years, um, are long mid-range shots and three-pointers. And that's just if you look at his first season until now. He was actually pretty good on long-range twos. Um, the last two years so I feel like part of what hurts RJ is he is finishing better he is doing some of these things better but I I know for I'll just say for myself I can't speak for anyone else I'm t- I, get, I get so tired of watching him and I think it's hurt more with Brunson this year honestly because Brunson has such an amazing like immaculate touch and RJ does not but to be fair like like if you look at the evidence he is doing better you know yeah, and, like, I mean, that's, again, it comes back to it, right? Like, do you just want to get RJ to 65% finishing at the rim and a guy who just fucking gets there all the time? Or, like, do you need the tween hezzy shit? Do you need him to, like, give RJ the ball? Like, prioritize, like, that's that's another thing. When the RJ fans, right, the guys who are super high on RJ being a superstar fall into either, like, oh, he sucks now because he's not putting up, 20, like, Anthony Edwards numbers. Right. Or, um... Or on the counter, on the contrary, they'll be like, "Well, they need to run the offense through him." Like Jalen Brunson and Randall are stunting his growth. The answer yep. could just be that, like, I I don't know that Randall, or, sorry, I don't know that RJ will ever be the guy that you run an offense through. By the yeah. way, I don't think the Knicks run their offense through Julius Randall. He scores mm-hmm. like I think that a lot of people think that's absurd. He's a leading scorer, but he he works off of everything else. RJ can be that kind of guy too, and I think he Absolutely. is in many ways. But he, he's a guy that f- picks off of everything else and just maxim. But like that's and that's fine for him to be. Um, but um, you know, you just have to if you keep those things in perspective, then you look for what are the like. We need to see his footwork improve. That's really that's been a major change. Uh, we need to see him fe- like Tibbs. Honestly, like everything I say, like Tibbs had one of the great responses in press conference of late. I think Chris Persianen asked him this, and if it's not Chris Persianen. Uh, you know, a reporter asked him about RJ, and he just said, "Look, when he gets to the rim, when he puts, you know, when he focuses on that, makes the right reads, the game is really simple, right? If they, you know, if you have a lane, if you 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 take the shot, if they collapse on you, pick it out, right? Um, but you know, when he does that, he does well. When he starts fading away or floating and all of that, what I think is what a lot of Knicks fans have said. That's when he gets in trouble, and I think when he." That's not that's not independent of like the reads because oftentimes when he's fading away or floating, it's because the rim is cut yes. off, which usually means someone is open. And yes. if he's taking less of those, one, it means he is getting to the rim more, but it also means, and I'm sure Tibbs is aware of this, but just didn't outline it, which is that a lot of those times it means now instead of forcing up that shot, he's finding somebody else, right? And we've always we've seen he has the ability to pass, like that's never been a question. Uh, it's just you know the decision making and all that. So, um, so if your expectations and you're looking for the right things, like he's grown. So I, I don't think people, uh, you know, I, I think people aren't um, are, are worried. I do want to. I know we're, we're getting a little close on time. I did want to ask you this, and this is something I asked on Twitter today. You know, Josh Hart has been a big addition for the Knicks, and Jalen Brunson and Randall have turned into guys that the Knicks didn't think they had, or Knicks fans didn't think we had yeah. at the this year. Jalen Brunson is a guy you can give the ball to in the fourth quarter at the end of games and say, "Get me a bucket." He he had a, he didn't have a great game against Denver, like for, <laughs> like he elite amazing first quarter. Welcome back, Jalen Brunson. He was pretty yeah. shitty for like the next two and a half quarters. 
And he still got them a huge bucket late against Aaron Gordon that nobody else on the Knicks gets. Yep. Quickly's mm-hmm. not, I mean, maybe quickly. Probably nobody else on the Knicks. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not as comfortable saying quickly would get it as I am with, with Brunson. Um, yeah. They have that guy now. They have a really elite second option who can play off of all of that and score at three levels in Randall. They have a rim protector, like an elite defensive player. Uh, they have a really good offensive third option in Barrett, and when he's not playing, quickly is a great third option for a playoff team. Um, Josh Hart has shown himself to be a great third option and a guy who can plug a bunch of holes. It's built like this kind of team. So my question is, you know, we've talked so long about who is like the Knicks still need that star, that star, that star. And um, and I think like now we're at a point where the guy who's who might be available, you know, well, James Harden is going to be a free agent this summer. Mm. And, um, you know, there's been talks that he could you know, he might leave for Houston. I don't know why he would do that. But um, um, no. strip clubs, that's why <laughs> No, there was actually there was actually a long article in The Athletic about a week ago. I might have been David Aldridge. I can't remember who wrote it, but someone touched on the specific issue of like Harden's connection with Houston is apparently uh, the owner, Tillman Fertitta, who's an asshole, like really has some affinity for Harden. Harden really does, um, according to the article, has a strong sense of home with Houston, has a lot of like charities and work that he's done there. I don't know if all of that really is honestly a mask for the strip clubs are better. And that's where he wants to be. And I don't say that judgmentally. If that's what brings him joy, then that brings you joy. But there's a lot of smoke there for a story that otherwise wouldn't seem to have any fire at all. Yeah, I mean, it's like, this is the best. He's in the perfect situation. He's playing, like, this is not his best season. He's put up, like, 30-point near triple-double seasons. But mm-hmm. he's he's putting 22-11 and 11 on a yes. elite title contender, playing next yep. to a great guy, and like, a an MVP-level player. But he's, like, Harden is making that engine go. Like, not to take yeah. away anything from Joel Embiid, who is, I don't want to get into the MVP debate, but he is as deserving as anyone else in the league. Um, and, um, you know, but, but Harden has been as big a part of their success and a big, a big part of Embiid's success as people won't realize. So I don't know why he would leave, but if he does, Mm -hmm. Embiid may be available and that, that would, so like, and there's a lot of, you know, Schwinn was saying this, that like, you know, you wait till 2025 and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, this, the team, the, the way this, the vibes are, you look at the track record of teams that go all in. It ain't great, right? Look at the Nets. Uh, you know, like when you just kill your depth to go in for these two or three star super teams, you know, it doesn't always work out. Um, so I guess the question I'm asking you is like, is so I, I think Embiid is the ultimate test because if you're at the point where you would say, you know, if we have to gut the roster, you know, let's say we keep quickly and Hart, but we add Embiid or we have to give up quickly and like we only keep Hart, but we have to give up all the young guys. Yeah. And all the picks, but we get Embiid, we get to pair him with Brunson and Randall. Maybe keep like Hart or one other role player, and like, and that that's our team. If you're a no to that, to me that means that you said that there is no star that would work. That that's that's what it says. I don't. I, to me, that says that I, I'm like Luca. Like to me, that says that unless we get Giannis, maybe mm-hmm. like there's there, like there is no star you would trade for, which is fine. So it brings back. So I, I don't want to ask if you think that Joel Embiid is the guy. I want the more pertinent thing is. Do you think the Knicks can continue to make these kind of Josh Hart types moves and get themselves to a championship? And um, you know, if if that's an I don't know to you, is there anything like in this upcoming playoffs and coming end of the season that might indicate to you that that's about worth taking rather than trying to you know, push your chips all in? I've I've wrangled with this thought for a few months now, um, really since December when they started winning. Um, at the moment, my answer is kind of both. Um, I don't want to rest on what they have. I think the Knicks have made that mistake recently. Um, for example, and I know nobody wants to hear this, and it may be different, and I know that he had a very good um, experience a year ago. We haven't seen Jalen Brunson in the playoffs. I know what he did to Dallas. There's a limit to how much I care about what he did against Dallas because I don't think I mean, Dallas, you know, like, oh, sorry, against Utah. Um, sorry, for Dallas against Utah. Um, I feel better about Brunson's capacity to excel in the playoffs than I do other Knicks because I've seen that. But I think, um, like I have for a while been like, you know what? Like maybe Josh Hart, you know, he's not a star, but he does more. I I think Hart ticks more boxes that they need filled than Barrett does when you're going to play him with Randall and Brunson. 
So part of me thinks like, no, I don't want to trade for a star because the Knicks are on. When I spoke earlier about like that path of progression that you wanted that we look for from players, like the Knicks are on that progression. The Knicks are better. They're solid. They are um, plus in a lot of as a, as a franchise looking forward. They're a plus in a lot of different things. They have extra draft picks. Their cap situation is good. They don't have any bad contracts. Um, their coach is working. Their players seem happy. Like they're on the upswing. Which when the Knicks are good, like they will attract other kinds of players that they don't when they're mediocre or when they're bad. So all of that, I feel like, I think they will need a star. I, if your if your goal is, I think this is a separation point for me. If your goal is, I want to win a title as soon as possible. Period. Then yes, I would. Um, then you have to trade for a star because Jalen Brunson is not going to be the best player on a title winner, and Julius Randle. No matter how good Brunson, the sporting cast is, you don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, let's be fair. We have not seen many six foot one guards lead teams to titles, no matter how good the cast is. I mean, if you I'm look up six five, there's one in recent memory, and he's the greatest shooter of all time, right? There is, and Brunson has had moments this year where he's maybe reminded me of Steph. But just like Randall two years ago, there, like, there's a reason why like, uh, a lot of people can have one magical season. Steph has had like 10. There's a difference between those kinds of people. I got to see more. I, I love Brunson. Um, but I feel like I am not as a fan in a place where my feeling is they have to win the title as soon as possible. I feel like I want for my team them, them to get over this hump of being a joke. And I want them to be successful and sustain it because I believe that if a New York City basketball franchise has sustained success and is getting a better reputation for how they treat players, you see what Derrick Rose, you see, like, remember a couple of years ago, I think it was Kentucky or Duke. I think it was Kentucky. We didn't even have their players work out for the Knicks, like before the draft. Like, I want to see the team establish itself on solid footing, and then you can start to build for something. I have yeah, no interest was, in trading. Um... It was. Huh. I think it was Kentucky. I think it was. I think it was. I think they really liked Bam Adebayo, and he was oh, yeah? for the Knicks. So, so there you go. Like things have come along very nicely, but I, this is the Knicks are not. Um, this isn't like the Jets, where you have a franchise that like is just has had nothing but basically failure since a long ago title, and like that's their that's their white whale. Like they, it's win no matter what win. I don't feel like the Knicks are there. For me, they're not. I don't want to see the Knicks just win a title. Like, and I can give you this difference as a fan. In 1994, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup. That had been the push forever. Like, you would you would watch a Ranger game before 1994 on Long Island, in Pittsburgh, in uh, Philadelphia, and you would hear the 1940 chant everywhere. And it got to a point where the organization's only fixation was we have to win a Stanley Cup. And they did. And they gave up a lot to get it. They gave up a ton to get Marc Messier. They made a billion trades at the trade deadline in 94 to get all these players to make one big run, and they won. As a Ranger fan, for the next 20 years, no ending to their season ever hurt me because they had won. That's all I cared about. They had won the Cup. I didn't care. I don't feel that way about the Knicks, which is odd because they're actually getting close to that territory. The Rangers had gone... 54 years without winning. The Knicks have now gone about 50. But I feel like to be successful in the NBA today, in a salary cap league that has the exceptions that it does, where player players have the empowerment that they do, I think success sustained is more valuable than what Dallas, I think, tries to do. Dallas very much feels to me like a franchise that is always falling into some kind of luck and then deciding, like, hey, let's push all our chips in. Oh, that didn't work. KP sucked. Well... Or even before that, like, uh, I sorry, I need I need two minutes on the Dallas Mavericks here. You win a title, okay? You win a title. You become the first team ever to win a title and be like, you know what? We're too smart to defend our title. We're gonna redo everything to make ourselves even better. We'll trade Tyson Chandler. We'll make all these other moves. We're gonna get Dwight Howard. We're gonna get Chris Paul. We're gonna get Kevin Durant. We're gonna get meetings with all these people. None of them come. They ruin the end of Dirk's career. They get nowhere near fucking anything. They fall ass backwards into Luka. Good trade. Good for you. They make the move for KP. That is an immediate move. That's a, let's go, guys. That doesn't work. Now, oh, okay. Uh, 
Let's get Kyrie. I mean, that's the ultimate like desperation move. I don't want the Knicks to become that. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like trading Grimes. And let's talk legit star. Okay. Let's talk Embiid. If you want to make a deal for Embiid and the Sixers told you, okay, we want uh I don't know. We want Randall quickly Grimes three first in a swap. I'm not saying you would do it. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility of what a team might ask for. They may not even want Randall because he's his own, you know, he's highly paid and whatever. But if they wanted that much, you can't say no. That's the price range you're in when you're talking about adding a star that would make this team a title. The only player in the league that I would say today, and I asked you this a few weeks ago, would you trade Randall and Brunson for Luka? Yes, that I will do. Because I think literally there you're talking about, this is kind of Larry Bird at 23. I will trade for Larry Bird at 23, and I will put up with whatever it takes because I trust he's that good. Because of Embiid's age and injury history, I can't do it with him. And how many other stars? No, I don't like Giannis is kind of a goofball. I, I, I'm not. Let me separate my bias. (laughs) Let me let me separate the personal for a second. Uh, I don't. I think Giannis will take longer to build a winner around than Luca, because I think Giannis's skills are more narrow. They're brilliant. but like having Giannis, you still need you know, you still need shooters. You still need someone who can handle the ball. I just feel like Luca's the one player who just, with the way the rules are and the way the game is structured, like it's it's all laid out there for him to be successful. Whereas I think with other other stars, you'd be giving a little to get a little. I don't know. To answer your question, because I am not obsessed with winning a title, my obsession is more. I want the Knicks to be on solid footing. I'm not interested in trading these guys, even though I think you bring this whole team back next year. They can win 50 games. They're not going to win a title. But I'm, I, would, I would rather see the Knicks do that. Bring everybody back, win 51 games, get to the second round, and now let me see where you go from there. Rather than, hey, we have something that's kind of working. Let's blow it all the fuck up to try for a star again. I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, makes sense. Uh, I I think, you know, whether you're impatient to see this team win a title or not, I think the vibes are so great from this team. And there's something so good. Uh, yeah. I mean, Portland is, I mean, that's kind of, you know, people, I, I wonder how much Portland fans lost enjoyment of those Damon CJ teams. They really shouldn't have. Like, that, that was a fun era. I mean, you have Damian Lillard. You get to watch him play every day. Like, yeah, they might be one of the rare markets that like did actually. I don't like that's not a market to me that seems title obsessed. They seem to me like they would. It was always in the fucking news, and I was just like, let them have fun, you know? Like, yeah, they might not win a title, but um, you know, and it's like, yeah, I mean, we can we can go on a hold, but like some of my favorite teams never like I love those D'Antoni sons, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe then you can say, well, they never really had a real shot. The Sonics Uh, in the '90s had a real shot. That was one of the first teams like. That weren't the Knicks that like I really enjoyed watching. If Nash doesn't get hip checked by Ori, that Suns team would have won a title. The Adelman Kings, great team, never won a title. I watched them play all day. And I like those, them. and those were meaningful. I would say the Sonics in many ways were forerunners of the new age era. Like I don't know that you have the D'Antoni Suns without the '90s Sonics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that guys like Giannis are used to, or maybe that's a bad example, but. Uh, you know, Shaq and and the 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 way that the not just Shaq himself, he was a kind of game changer in his own, but like the way the Magic kind of deployed spacing a big guard next to Shaq, you know, kind of that pace and space around like of oh, yeah. you know the paint, that was that was advanced for its age too, right? I mean, they didn't just turn Shaq into Kim Olajuwon or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way they paired him with Penny and guys like Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson. That was pioneering. They never won a title, right? I mean, it's absurd mm-hmm. to think. I mean, it, it is crazy to think that Shaq in his prime with Penny Hardaway didn't win a title, and that says a lot about Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon. But um, you know, like I think that um, sometimes that obsession can be bad. And and forget about those teams, right? Like you know, a team like the Raptors, right? Like they the the Raptors mm-hmm. were LeBron's you know fodder for a long time. 
but until mm-hmm. they weren't. And it did take the star trade for them to get there, but you know, should does that mean all of those years where the Raptors had you know those fun runs and and that regular season success were for, didn't matter? I wouldn't say no, right? Like you know, it's not binary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think even if you take a look at the Knicks, like, and the Knicks' greatest run as a franchise in the '90s when they had kind of 15 years, not 15, maybe 13 years in a row of relevance with Patrick Ewing. They only came close to a title once. Like, I know they contended a lot of years, but, like, losing to the Bulls in six games in the conference final still leaves you six wins from a title. I don't consider that close, even though they were a contender. Like, the only year they came close to winning a title was 1994. I don't have bad memories of the 90s. I didn't live through the 90s thinking... I would trade it all for a time. I enjoyed because every team was different. Every year was different. Every storyline was different. Um, I think it's been so long that I think it would be appreciated now. There was a lot of angst then. There was a lot of like, oh, come on. But I think I think even Nick fans have probably learned over the last quarter century, like, oh, we probably should have enjoyed that more than we did. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, and, and I think one, it definitely – does not feel like this Knicks team is close to what it like. They're still getting you know comfortable with each other. There's still a lot of young guys. Um, IQ still has more growth in him. RJ still mm-hmm. has more growth. Mitchell still has more more growth in him, right? Uh, you know that that performance against Denver is not something he had like. Yes, everyone is gonna like the alley oop lit the garden on fire, but it was the closeout before that. You know where he closed out on Jokic, leapt but landed on his feet under control and mm-hmm. still contested mm-hmm. the second shot. And that was after, by the way, he had played perfect drop coverage under Murray. That's just the the like a cumulative possession you just hadn't seen from him consistently. These guys are still growing, and um, I like I want to kind of I want to see how that goes, you know, and and see that that play out. And and I, I like what better team than the Knicks to buck the conventional wisdom that you have to trade for an MVP level player, you know? Like I'll tell you what, a lot of teams have tried that and hadn't worked. It did yeah. not work for the Brooklyn Nets. We were the Brooklyn Nets did everything that everyone said the Knicks were supposed to do, right? They got Kyrie and KD. You know, imagine if the Knicks had gotten Kyrie and KD and Zion, and Zion was missing yeah. a few games a year, and Kyrie was. I mean, imagine if Kyrie if Kyrie like said all this shit that he said, and that was you know they would have blamed Dolan for all of that, right? Joe Sy gets all about it many, 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 many times. Trust me. <laughs> and, and and I mean, it is interesting the lack of scrutiny Joe Sy gets given um, you know certain affiliations, but you know we can leave it at that. But like Dolan wouldn't have gone scot free on that, and the Knicks no. wouldn't have, right? So uh, and the same thing goes with Durant. So um, you know, every everything is a hard rule until it gets broken. It was a hard rule that you can't win as a jump shoot. Like Charles Barkley used to say, Warriors are never going to win a title. They're a jump shooting team until they did, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know the Detroit Pistons won a championship, and um, you know, and you know, people said things like Giannis, you can't you can't win a championship with Giannis as your best player because he can't be your go to guy. He won a championship, right? right? So mm-hmm. uh, everything mm-hmm. is true until it isn't. So why why not these Knicks to break the team? Because I tell you what, besides them having a guy who is what you know the the intelligentsia, so to speak, calls a marquee name. They have all the other ingredients right now of a team that is just that can be play with anybody in the playoffs. So, yeah, I think they are. I think they're on track to impress. And beyond that star thing, like point to me a weakness of this team. You can't. They rebound the ball. They defend. They protect the rim. They're not great at shooting. They're not great three. at shooting, but they like. But they're a great they're offensive okay. team still. They are. They are. Again, I wonder I, I we'll talk about Cleveland in the next pod. I'm I'm yeah. I am extremely interested specifically because I I did a thing about Cleveland a little while ago last week. Like the Cavs match up in certain areas with the Knicks in such an interesting way. They're both like dominant rebounding teams. Cleveland is a dominant defensive rebounding team. I wanna see like what happens when that comes up against the Knicks That's offensive right. rebounding. Um I can't remember now. Tonight will be interesting. Minnesota forces a lot of turnovers. Um, the Knicks don't commit turnovers. I'm interested in that. But I'm very interested in seeing in the playoffs, because I feel like two years ago, I I especially was not interested in hearing anything about, like, the Knicks three-point defensive numbers are going to regress and Randall's shot profile is probably not sustainable. I feel like this time, I feel like right now, what they're doing that's good 
is more likely to survive in the playoffs than what they were doing two years ago. I think so. We'll find out. Um, but I'm very, very, very interested, obviously, in um, seeing how the Knicks will do in the playoffs this season. That is going to be it for this episode. We have a lot still to get into this week, which I'm sure we will. Um, Stacy has a great hypothetical question that we will bring up in the next pod. Um, and also, we'll have the Minnesota game to talk about. And they should be playing Cleveland pretty soon. Um, sorry, let me just just double-check the next schedule very quickly. Um Obviously, anyone who's listening to this, you know what? You're listening. You can look it up on Google. They're playing Cleveland soon. Um, but we will we will definitely talk again um, after the Minnesota game tonight. Um, before I go, please remember, Bet Online. the show is presented by Bet Online. It is also presented by your hosts, Matthew Miranda, Stacey Patton. Stacey, very nice to see you again. Um, and I look forward to potting with you again later this week. Everybody listening, take care, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.